the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yeah, it's easy for us to play the victim card, isn't it? But really, at the end of the day, who is the true victim? Well, let's talk about that next on Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome to today's Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner returns us to the book of Romans, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Yesterday, we began to look at this passage, the righteous judgment of God. And really, it is a righteous judgment. Even though we may think we don't deserve it, at the end of the day, there is only one real victim here, and it's neither you nor I. Here's Pastor Gary with more on today's Abounding Grace. Go home this evening and read Psalm 55, where David talks about morning, noon, and night. I seek you. Question, do you pray that way? Well, David puts me to shame morning, noon, and night. And then we see in Daniel 9 where he says, now I really need to seek the Lord. Oh, I I thought you were. Morning, noon, and night. But that's not really seeking the Lord. You see, beloved, that's really just survival. Morning, noon, and night. Are you seeking the grace of Christ? Whatever you do, don't listen to a sermon on duty and get out the whip and beat yourself with it. Because then you will feel really bad. There's nothing more that you can do about it except you try and free yourself with excuses. It won't do you any good. When you hear that those who receive eternal life are marked out by patient continuance in doing good, what are you supposed to say? I'm sure most of you will say, as I do, I can't do that. I'm too weak. But Christ can do it. His spirit in me can do it. If his word abides in me, He abides in me. He can do it. I must seek Him. I'm going to watch out for some of the things I'm doing that are taking too much of my time because really, we all have time to seek the Lord. God never created a single Christian on this planet, listen, without the time to seek Him because that would be a denial of His own goodness and character. There may be sometimes I'm doing that I need to doing things that I need to let go and let God and stop playing Holy Spirit everywhere. There are some frivolous things that I certainly need to stop doing so I can seek the Lord, but I must seek his grace because he promised it to me. It's not well. Will I get it? I don't know. Guess what? If you pray like that, You're not going to get it. If you go home and think, well, it's a crapshoot. I have a 50-50 shot, I guess. Hey, God, I don't know. I've prayed a hundred times. What good will it do me? It never happens. 
Will you give me some grace? God says, no, I'm not going to give you anything. Why? Because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the diligent rewarder of those who seek him. We don't come to God bringing our own stingy ways and try to impart them on him. His heart is open to us. Beloved, just look to the cross. His mercy is open to us. Look to the cross and seek him. He has opened heaven for us. Look at the cross. Look at the Son of God and believe rivers of grace have been opened to us. Oceans of mercy have been opened to us so that we can seek the Lord. He may not give it to me in a day. He may well not give it to me in a year. Why? Because it is patient continuance in doing well. It's not once. It's not twice. It's not a thousand times. It is a way of life. Don't put numbers on it. Don't put days on it. My life is hidden with Christ in God, says Paul. Therefore, that life being hidden means I've got to seek it as a way of life. If I get what I want, that's okay. But I don't need what I want. I need what he wants for me. I need what he has for me. Let me encourage you. Take seriously this duty of faith. So many in the church throw around grace like, hey, grace trumps everything else. Grace trumps thou shalt not commit adultery. Grace trumps, remember the Sabbath day. Oh, don't talk about keeping the Sabbath. We have grace. Don't talk about obeying parents. We have grace. Don't talk about talking purely. Grace, 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 grace. Grace is not cheap. Look at the cross. That is all you need. Why did Jesus die? He died because we have broken God's law and that forever tells us God's attitude toward his law and our offense of it. So let us be motivated, encouraged, as Paul describes the godly here, as those who seek the Lord. But notice the opposite in verse 8. Those who will not receive glory and honor and immortality will not receive eternal life. Now they can repent. The very reason Paul tells us this is because there is hope, even for hypocrites, so if you're one, come to Christ today. Confess your hypocrisy and ask him to cleanse you. Lord, I'm a leper. I'm filthy. I'm a liar. I'm filthy, filthy, filthy. I'm filthy, but you are clean. You are clean. You are clean. Make me clean. There is hope. But he gives us a clear description. He says in verse 8, unto them that are contentious. That is a word that means faction. We really don't use that word much anymore, but it is very appropriate for the Jews because they always formed these groups, well, many of them did, or separated into some cliques, and they were always fighting, looking down their noses at the others. They were generally more concerned with man's opinion than with God's opinion. And then verse 8 says, they do not obey the truth. That's a powerful line just on its own. 
that actually deserves a sermon on its own, particularly in the context of hypocrisy and grace, 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 which means I can do whatever I want. Here is a clear way that God has given us the love and the truth that we might be saved. Turn to Second Thessalonians. I want you to see this because there is no wrestling with this. There's no, I'll not sure it means that, that, that it means that actually. Second Thessalonians 2.10. Paul is talking here about the mystery of lawlessness and the evil one. And he says, and with all of this deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So all those whom God destines for heaven sometime in their lives, he takes their stony heart away and gives them a soft heart. And with the finger of the Holy Spirit, he writes God's word upon our hearts so that we love his truth. Do you love his truth? If you do, will you obey it without question? If with God's truth, one word from him, And that's the end of the controversy, beloved. One word. Now, granted, we are not where we should be on that. I'm certainly not. But that is the condition of the Christian's heart. But not so for those who are destined for wrath. They do not obey the truth. They don't like the truth. But what do they obey? Unrighteousness. He doesn't say those who go to hell were graceless. He says they were disobedient. They disobeyed what God said in his word. And what is the consequences of that? Indignation and wrath. Now, when these two words are joined together, the Holy Spirit is telling us that God's wrath is boiling. Sometimes indignation is used for boiling. Of course, God here speaks as a man because he doesn't boil. But this is said to wake us up from our slumber. And from those who receive that wrath, it will be boiling. For them, hell will be boiling. Boiling with God's indignation and God's wrath and tribulation and anger. Tribulation, that's God's excessive judgment against those who disobey him. And anguish, in verse 9, the word means a straight, narrow place confined under God's wrath, which is how one feels forever when he is in hell. Hell. We often think is where God is not. No. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Hell is not where God is not. Hell is where there is no mercy. Hell is where there is nothing to shield me from his righteous judgment and his anger against me for my sins. There's no common grace in hell. There's no hope of reprieve in hell. There's no thinking, well, this will have to end someday. Oh, no, there is no end to hell. We are being, why are we being told this? You know, today men laugh at hell. They say no one is ever scared into heaven by being threatened with hell. That's not what the Bible says. Second Corinthians 5.11, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuaded men. Now, it's true, blind men don't always know the terror The sad thing about it is we become so insensible to it at times that we don't even know the danger that faces us. 
We're just blind to it. We may need a reminder every now and then, and God will give us a reminder every now and then. But if you know the Lord, one of the things that is true of you is that you have had some revelation made to your soul that sin is dangerous. It is dangerous for your soul, for your family, for your life. It is dangerous because of your filth. You see, sin's not dangerous, and it's no big deal in a culture that doesn't believe in the law. And that is always going to be a culture that's not going to care two cents about the gospel. But you know, hell and this gospel, they go together. Without hell, the gospel is irrelevant. Those who deny the existence of hell may as well stop preaching or even listening to the gospel because there is no motivation. But we are told to flee from the wrath to come. Turn with me to Acts 24. Paul is here preaching to Felix in verse 24 and says, And after certain days, when Felix with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, did Paul preach grace, 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 grace? Well, grace was certainly there, but not without verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, that is self-control, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. Now, Felix was a Roman governor. Why would he tremble at the words from Paul? Beloved, it's because we cannot escape who we are. We are made in the image of God, and even though people who tremble before the warning of judgment know that judgment can't be anything good, we don't hear of Felix being converted, but sometimes it can be the beginning for those people we witness to. It's like the first awakening of the conscience. Oh, wait a minute. These actions are going to have consequences for me. My pride, my unbelief, my disobedience against God's word. It's all going to have unwanted consequences. What am I going to do? Sometimes going back to Acts chapter 2, God breathes on that warning by his Holy Spirit, and this happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that name Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And 3,000 were converted through Peter's preaching. Now, I think there's an important lesson in this for us. I know men laugh at hell and even many in the church. Of course they laugh at hell. The reality of it scares them. Our nation is a laugh a minute thinking maybe laughing will silence our conscience. But it is revealed to us why. One, so that we will be grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ bore all of our hell. And that we can run to him 
and two, so that we'll see what an evil thing sin really is. Why is there hell? It is because God is holy and our sins are an offense to his holiness. So being warned of it, we are encouraged to flee from it into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ and be cleansed from our sins. Now to conclude this section here, notice he says, it is the Jews first. Those who do evil, it is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, verse 9. Now here's an interesting thought. Why should this warning of tribulation and anguish and wrath and judgment be singled out for the Jews first? Because they knew better and they were hypocrites, which should obviously encourage us to flee our hypocrisy because we have God's truth. And notice he repents in verse 10, glory, honor. And he adds peace this time to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The Jews are first again. Why? Because the promises were initially made to them. This is the same gospel that was preached in the wilderness by Moses and later by the prophets. So flee unto Christ. Then verse 11, for there's no respect of persons with God. You know, this is something I do. I don't know about you. But I look over at the rich and wealthy, arrogant politicians and their ignorance and their arrogance and their stiff necks. And then sometimes I think, oh, I know so much better than they do. And when you throw in those poor fools sending their kids to government schools by the millions and you think, what idiots, at least I know better. I don't listen to CNN, so of course I'm more in the know. You know, there is this poison that runs deep in human nature. And that is that I am exceptional. I'm different. And I have a different set of rules that apply to me. We all have in one form or another that somehow God will make an exception with me. We must think that or every time we read a passage like this, we would be, we would be going running to Christ and seek grace and forgiveness in him and want to obey and please him. The Lord here reminds us to the Jew first, I don't respect your descent from Abraham because you are, you're not like your father Abraham. You don't believe my word. And I don't respect your circumcision. Because your disobedience has made it uncircumcision. As he says later in the chapter. He says I don't respect your bloodline. I don't respect you who were at Mount Sinai. I don't respect it because I don't look at the costumes and the masks that you people wear. I look at the heart and before me, everyone is condemned for sin and wickedness. So what are we supposed to do when we read passages like this? I think we're supposed to see the judge sitting on his throne. And we all need to think about this very often. Some of your family members and friends have died unsaved. And now it's too late for them. They've already stood before the judgment seat of Christ. Their destiny is set for an eternity. But for us, God has given us the privilege of his word. And when we read this text, we ought to think, okay, when we stand before God, what's it going to be? Oh, well, I'm a Presbyterian. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty. and I have money. I've been a nice person. 
You see, that's the American gospel. I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. I gave the second food harvest last Christmas. God, of course, he's right through all of that. Beloved, the one thing that will preserve us on that day is if the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope and our life and that we look to his righteousness and his obedience as our covering before God. And how do you know if we have done that sincerely? I really, really believed in my heart of heart of heart. No, that is not the fruit. The proof of the presence of Jesus in our lives is patient continuance in doing good and seeking glory and honor and immortality. Not to add to him or what he has done, but to please him and so that just a little bit by his grace and by his power and just a little bit of my obedience, which if God would judge it on its own merit, it would be deserving of his condemnation. But I want Jesus to be honored by his work in me. I don't want to bring up to heaven something deformed when I had his grace and his promise and his power. I want to please him. I want to throw the crowns that he put on my head at his feet. He is the worthy lamb. He did all of this. But guess what? Those crowns, that honor and that glory and that immortality is something we should strive for as Christians. Being a lazy Christian is a contradiction in terms, beloved. Let that not ever be said of any of us. Let me repeat something. Because I'm afraid we hear stuff like this and so many say, Oh boy, you mean I can't just go and have a spiritual experience with God? Do you mean I have to actually deny myself? You mean I have to actually get serious about obedience and confessing Christ? And I need to get serious about studying God's word and serving the Lord in my workplace? Preacher, you don't know what my job is like. I've got to serve the Lord in my home and you don't know what my wife is like. You don't know what my mother and father are like. Maybe not. But I know what my mother but I know what Jesus is like at least a little bit I have tasted as much of him as I would have not tasted as much of him as I would like but I know he is worthy for me to serve no matter what he chooses to bring into my life so that I can bring a smile to his face and to honor his work in my life because that is what it is It is not me trying to earn anything. It is me honoring him for who he is. And that is all of our confidence on the day of judgment. There's nothing else. Turn with me to one last verse. I'll read this and then we'll pray. 1 John 4 verse 17. Notice how how John puts all this into perspective. Both sides of it. 1 John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness? When standing before God? How? Because as he is, so are we in this world. So our prayer after reading this should be, Lord Jesus, make me like you. 
Help me to pursue that glory and that honor and that immortality. Make me like you. Oh, I want us to be made more like you as a mother, as a wife, as a father, as a husband, as a child, as a businessman, as an owner of a business, as a Christian, as a citizen. All I want to be made is to be made and remade in your image. I want to know you and be found in you through true faith. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.